My name is Adela Kochav. And I'm Mariam Waba. We are the Daughters of Diaspora. And this is Americanish. It has been a hot minute since we did that one. It really has. We did that same intro for the very first time almost two years ago now. Mariam and I came together two years ago um, as two women from completely different backgrounds, Mariam being an Egyptian Coptic Christian and me a Syrian Lebanese Jew. In this very special episode of Americanish, we want to talk about those values that brought us together almost two years ago. And, uh, you know, if, if you've been everywhere on social media or if you've, you've been existing in the world, you heard about what happened on October 7th. And what did happen was on October 7th at 6.30 a.m., thousands of Hamas militants entered Israel by land, air, and sea, and they roamed the streets with the intention to kill and kidnap civilians. Um, they killed over 1,400 Israelis, and over 200 hostages are still currently in Gaza. And since then, we've been watching the conflict unfold on social media, and we've been watching thousands of people take to the streets, choosing a side, remaining silent, whatever it is that they're doing, the world has been watching. And um, I remember where I was the morning of October 7th. I was actually in Dubai with my family, and we woke up that morning, and we heard that there were rockets being fired into Israel. And I was supposed to go to Israel later that week for a wedding, and my family just joked like, oh, I guess the wedding's canceled, because for us, rockets being fired into Israel— it's not novel. It's nothing new. So we really just, we thought nothing of it. And I continued throughout my day sightseeing with my family at restaurants with my cousins. And as the news started coming in, and as I started getting the videos, because I was in the same time zone as Israel by mid-afternoon, it was very clear this was a very different conflict from what we were seeing. And um, by that night, I was in tears um, from everything that that I was seeing on social media. I, I remember I had Snapchat map open and that's how I was getting the content I was seeing because it was being live streamed by Hamas terrorists, the most graphic videos that I cannot explain. And um, later that week, I ended up going to Turkey and for the second time in my life, I took off my Megan David because I'd never felt the amount of fear of being a Jew in the world. Because after October 7th, when, when you saw everyone not only celebrating the attacks, but calling for a globalized intifada, and we could talk about what that means, me sitting in the UAE, me sitting in Turkey, I said, if I go out wearing a Magen David and it triggers the wrong person, that's it. It's the end of me. So I took off my Magen David and I said, if anyone asks, I'm just a girl from Mexico and I'm here on vacation with my family. And um, since I've gotten back, it's been one of the hardest month and a half of my life. It has been the hardest. Um, and I know that my life has definitely changed since then. Do you remember where you were on October 7th? Can you walk us through your day? Yeah, absolutely. And I think our lives have been changed, but the world is no longer the same mm -hmm. in the way that the world was no longer the same after 9-11. Mm -hmm. Israel's 9-11 happened, and it doesn't seem like people are talking about it in the way that we should all be talking about it. And this is why we're sitting here now having this conversation. Um, so Saturday morning, October 7th, I woke up, uh, slept in. And by that, I mean, I woke up at 830. Uh, um, and I checked my personal phone, I checked my work phone, and I try not to do a lot of like, Middle East stuff on my personal phone, because it just consumes my life in so many ways. But I see um, the first notification I see is actually one saying that Israel has declared war. Um, not much else was in the not notification, but I obviously like jump up to see what, you know, what's, what's the context? Why has Israel just declared war as per time magazines notification? Um, and I click and open the notification and I start seeing some of the Hamas footage and I start seeing these, um, you know, floaters coming into, uh, Israeli, Israeli 
territory and I'm seeing Hamas fighters breaking through the gates of Gaza, the, the wall, the barrier between the Gaza Strip and Israel. Um, and I think a little part of me started to put the pieces together about what exactly is happening because um, it's a very novel feeling. Like you just know something is about to go very bad and your brain doesn't want to start making the assumptions, but it logic kicks in and you're like, oh, this is a terrorist attack. If, mm-hmm. um, if, if all these pieces are to be put together, this is what's happening. Um, and as the day went on, we obviously saw all the footage coming in from Hamas. And as the day went on, we saw uh, gruesome and brutality in ways that the world has never seen before. We had seen um, Hamas militants and fighters shooting civilians at point blank, kidnapping women and their children, um, tearing open pregnant women's bellies and, and murdering their children and and as the day went on we kept seeing every time i saw something i was like this is this is it this is the worst thing and it wasn't more and more kept coming in um and as i'm seeing hamas basically gopro a terrorist attack a, a several hours long terrorist attack my second thought was one israel's gonna have to defend itself as any rational um dutiful nation will um and two the sympathy the 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 sympathy window is going to close very very fast Mm -hmm. and people are going to forget very fast that israel just experienced its 9-11 its largest terrorist attack in history because they will start retaliating and defending and protecting their civilians um so that was my October 7th. Oh, well, that's that's a long October 7th. And and again, like for for Jewish people who are observant, they it was actually a holiday. So mm-hmm. a lot of them didn't even know what had happened until a full day and a half later. Like I, when I was talking to my mom in real time, because of course I'm in Dubai, my mom's like, are you safe? And I'm like, yes, I'm safe. And she said that she had to go to synagogue and tell people what had right. happened and that no one believed her. She said, no, they're they're live streaming it. They're going into homes. They're holding families hostages. P- people are recounting it, showing it. The, the, the way that people were finding out that their loved ones were being killed is because terrorists would take their phones, log into their Facebook, and live stream it from their own Facebooks. It was... It was the craziest thing. And I actually, I got to go to Israel. I went to Kfaraz. I got to walk through the kibbutzim that were attacked. I got to meet with the families shortly after. And it was one of the most surreal experiences because exactly like you said, that window of sympathy, it was, if it existed at all, was so short. Yeah. So short. And these people were left behind. And and for, for those who know us, you know, Israel is very near and dear to our hearts. Um, but this conflict is about so much more than that. It's really fundamentally boils down to good versus evil. And, um, of course I'm Jewish and Israel has always been a very big part of my life. And we, we first started the show and I told everyone I was doing a show with a Coptic Christian and we come from different backgrounds and we have said many similar values and, you know, and the first question people would say, well, does she support Israel? And I'd be like, actually, she does. And <laughs> people would be like, well, why? And that was always the question that came up. And I always found it fascinating when people who aren't Jewish support the state of Israel. So um, who better to answer than you? Right. It is a big question. Why would I, an Arab Christian, a Coptic Christian from Egypt, out of all people, support the Jewish state? And because it's such a big question, we can answer it in so many different ways. I have my own personal reasons for supporting the Jewish state. But for our purposes today and, and for the purposes of this conversation and for context in 
in this time right now when we're having this in the middle of the war between Hamas and Israel, the simple and plain answer is that I believe the Jewish people have the right to self-determination. I believe that the Jewish state can and should exist and not only exist, survive and thrive as it has. That's a hot take. Oh, yeah, you think? (laughs) Um, and I have my own like personal intellectual, emotional, emotional, theological reasons, and we can get into all of that, but that would take us days. Um, and, and we've told the story about how I came to arrive at supporting the Jewish state. And that's another story that will take days. But, um, I think for our conversation today, it should be as simple as the Jewish people have the right to self-determination in their ancestral homeland, period, full stop. Everything else needs to have that as the foundation of it. You cannot be chanting things that take away from the Jewish people's sovereignty. Nobody ever asks me if I support an Egyptian state. Hmm. Nobody ever asks me if I support a Czechoslovakian state. Like, why why is that a question? Why should Hmm. I be asked, why do I support a Jewish state? Thank you. And, and that's that's a question that, again, is, is so basic. And it goes back to, well, peoplehood, right? And right. Um, when I think of peoplehood, I think of, of different groups of people that have existed throughout time. And of course, we all know, or at least the, the Jewish people understand that Israel is the most successful indigenous people's rights movement, where it's a people coming back to their indigenous homeland. And I know that Christians have been indigenous to the Middle East since the very start of Christianity. End of the day, we know that whether or not you believe it, Jesus was living in Israel at the time of his life and his death. So, um, you know, my, my question to you here is what has been the reaction from the Arab Christian world throughout this conflict? Yeah, and that's another big question. We're going to be asking and attempting to answer probably poorly, like a lot of big questions in this conversation in this episode. Um, the Arab Christian reaction to um, this war has been not surprising, but sad, um, if I'm being really honest with myself and with you. Arab Christians um, tend to support Arab nationalism and have a predisp- predisposed Uh, favoritism towards the Palestinian cause. Not that you can't be pro-Israeli and pro-Palestinian. Both peoples deserve the right to self-determination. But because Arab Christians have been subscribed to the idea of Arab nationalism and Arabism for so long, um, because the Arab world is so predominantly anti-Israel, Arab Christians most often, more often than not, tend to also be anti-Israel. And that hasn't changed, unfortunately, with this war. The thing that I have been thinking actively about and talking to people in my circles about is this idea of the mitud. Mm -hmm. Uh, For those of you who don't know, the word dimi um, is a word that describes non-Muslims living in Muslim land. Um, And technically it means people of the book or um, protected people, but realistically it means second-class citizens. Dimis were Jews and Muslims who, and other religious and ethnic minorities who lived in Islamic countries throughout the centuries who had to abide by different laws, including, but not limited to, wearing a different set of clothes, identifying your home uh, is a non-Muslim home. Uh, you couldn't ride a camel or a horse oh, no. because you were, <laughs> you got to get, get that camel. We had to, that's why we have good legs. That's, sure. Um, <laughs> and and the list is, is quite lengthy. There's a lot of things that non-Muslims could not do in Muslim lands, including paying what most people know as a jizya, which is a tax to be able to be a protected people. Um, And I think my theory, and and multiple academics have presented this theory, and I kind of stole it from them, is that you internalize this dimitude 
uh, you start thinking of yourself and acting as a second-class citizen and subscribing to notions and ideas that may not fit your your interest and your community's interest. So I truly believe, um, and I'm, I'm open to being proved wrong, but I truly believe this notion that Arab, um, Arab Christian anti-Israel sentiment comes from the fact that we have been dimmies for so long. Mm -hmm. And it's an interesting dichotomy too because you know, Jews at some point stopped being dummies. You guys fought, you, you had a huge diaspora and you had some uh, special circumstances that led to the establishment of the Jewish state and you are no longer dummies in your ancestral homeland. Arab Christians, it's a completely different story. We are still second-class citizens mm -hmm. for the most part, I would say for the whole part, in our ancestral homeland. There's about 10 million Copts in Egypt that live as dummies, as second-class citizens, where we don't enjoy all the rights of being first-class citizens. The Assyrians were massacred by ISIS and their homes were a big noon, or the letter N was put on their homes by ISIS and ISIS went door to door, shooting and murdering Christians in Iraq. And that story is not unique to any of the Christians of the Middle East. We all share it through and through throughout history. Yeah, I think it's it's very important to note um, in terms of context and timelines because I feel like this is something that gets lost on a lot of people. If we're putting things into perspective, the, the Jews first arrived to the land of Israel around, what, 1300 BC, 1000 BC, whatever it is that you want to put it. Uh, Jesus lived, of course, in in one, right? He, he died in 70, correct? Um, and then the Arab conquest of the Middle East didn't start until, um, what, 600 AD? 550 yeah. years after the death of Jesus, Right. So it's one of those things that if you think about who was existing in the region for all of the time before that, it was it was Jews and Christians. Right. For for hundreds and hundreds of years before the Islamization of the of the Levant. Right. So it's it's one of those things that people always forget that Islam didn't come before either of those two religions mm -hmm. and those two religions predated the existence of Islam. And that's something that's, I think, lost on a lot of people. And especially like when when you're in it. And we've had a lot of conversations about um, the Jewish institutional world because you, you've you been um, really an ally to the Jewish community for a very long time. And right now we're seeing the Jewish people were fully blindsided, right? The, the state of Israel as much as the diaspora. No one saw this coming. No one understands how this could have happened. And, and now we've been seeing the way that we've been trying to mobilize, what kind of messaging we're trying to put out. And and really just feels like like we're we're rushing and we're we're all throwing our hearts at the wall to see what sticks. Mm -hmm. Um so what kind of conversations have you been having with with your Jewish friends? Um really honest and difficult ones, really painful ones. And I, I want to speak to the Jewish people in a sec, and I want to address a couple of different things. But first, I want to make a really important distinction because um, in war, whether you're on the battlefield in, in real time or whether you're on the social media battlefield, things get lost in translation, things are not communicated properly, things are, are not meeting each other where they should be. Um, and the distinction I want to make is Islam versus Islamism. Mm -hmm. um, Islamism is not a form of Muslim faith and is not an expression of any Muslim piety. It is a political ideology that tries to derive legitimacy from Islam, the faith. Mm -hmm. um, so when you think of Islam, you think of Muslims practicing faithful people who subscribe to the Islamic theology. When you think of Islamism, you're thinking of ISIS, Al-Qaeda, Hamas, and other militant groups who have tried to take Islam as a religion and a faith and turn it into pol political and military ideology. And more often than not, I can confidently say more often than not, Islamism 
ends in murder, terrorism, and overall bad situations mm -hmm. for everybody involved. Um, now I want to speak directly to the Jews. Um, Arab Christians, we know Islamism. We have seen its brutal evil face so many times through so many different instances throughout our history. The video of ISIS beheading 21 Coptic brothers of mine is constantly on replay in my head. And I walk around with that pain and, and hurt and shame every day of my life. And it's that same pain and hurt that I've watched you guys experience over the last five or six weeks. Mm. And it's the same pain and shame I felt watching the videos of Hamas burn babies and put babies in ovens because they were Jewish. And my message to you, as, as cliche as this may sound, but I truly, from the bottom of my heart, mean it. I need you to know that you are not alone. I know what this feels like, and it is not a good feeling. And while that may, may not take away any of your pain or suffering, and we still have a long way to go before we need to be where we need to be, I hope it gives you, that you, it gives you the, the feeling and the thought that you have an understanding ally. The Arab Christians know what Islamism feels like, know what it's like to suffer at Islamis, Islamism's hand. Um, and if nothing else, whether we're silent or we're loud about it, I need you to know that you have people fighting on your side because we know that evil cannot win. It shall not win. Thank you. That's that's such an important message. And of course, like to me personally, how much that means and, and how much it means to the Jewish people, especially feeling so alone in the world right now, feeling like we're we're screaming into a void for someone to listen yeah. and we're being drowned out entirely. Um, and, and to me, it just makes it so much more clear that this isn't about Israel at all. This this is about hateful ideologies, about normalizing terrorism. This is about what we saw on October 7th. Because, w w again, when, when we think of terrorism, the terrorism that I've known, right? I, I moved here on August 29th of 2020, of 2001, and two weeks later we had 9-11. And that was my first experience in the U.S. I literally fresh off the plane, and the first thing I saw was a terror attack. I was living in New Jersey. We were sent home from school and, and we were we were at home and we were we were scared. And the terrorism that we grow up knowing is plane hijackings, bombs, and maybe chemical attacks. But the footage that I was seeing on October 7th, that I was seeing in real time on Snapchat map, is something that falls completely out. I, I can't even call it terrorism. The only thing I could call it is barbaric. Barbaric and medieval. You saw people literally break into homes while people were screaming, holding their children. They would grab kids, throw them. They would take women. They would rape them until their pelvises broke and then parade their corpses. That's not even terrorism. I, I, I don't know what to call that other than just plain barbaric. And the worst thing, the worst thing is that people on October 8th, before any form of Israeli retaliation or self-defense, gathered in Times Square, thousands of them, calling this freedom fighting, saying that it's all justified because of context. And I want to talk about that word context. Right. What context exists that you see here where someone says, I had no choice but to rape a woman? Um, so we've used context in this episode a couple times, we actually. Um, but it's interesting how that word was weaponized on October 8th before any Israeli retaliation. Mm -hmm. um, how infantilizing is it to 
excuse rape, murder, and burning Jewish babies alive Mm -hmm. because of context. What context? What in the world could justify that? What in the world excuses that as resistance? Absolutely nothing. Like, had Hamas decided to attack Israel in the form of bombs and an organized militia targeting military bases, we would be having a very different conversation right now. A very different conversation. And I think that the the primary difference between people who are supporting Hamas and people who are supporting Israel right now is that if you ask anyone supporting Israel or the Jewish people about civilian death in Gaza, every single one of us will tell you that it's a tragedy. Because every civilian life lost is a tragedy. Right. Plain and simple. Every single Palestinian life lost in Gaza is a tragedy. Every civilian deserves a right to, uh, right to safety and a right to live. The difference is that when you talk to a Hamas supporter, they will never call it a tragedy. No civilian death is a tragedy. Because to them, every Israeli or every person who might not even be Israeli but was in Israel at the time, like those people at the Nova Massacre, at the Nova Musical Festival, every single one of their deaths is justified because of quote-unquote context. And that's the thing. We haven't lost our humanity. I can stand here and I can look at you and I can tell you civilian death is a loss and civilian death is a tragedy. But I have never heard someone on the other side use that word for Israelis. Absolutely. And and Hamas does not discriminate. No. (laughs) Uh, They they murdered and raped Arab Israelis as well Mm -hmm. um, because they were quote unquote Zionist supporters or, or, you know, the word I kept hearing in the Hamas videos were like dogs of the Zionist regime, dogs of the occupier. And hey, look, they're equal opportunity terrorists. Yep, equal oh, opportunity. We love that. Oh my God. We we love that, right? Um, no, it's it's really one of the things that makes you makes you think. And then seeing the way that social media has taken to all of this and the way that people have been mobilizing, right? It's it's just the, the things that you hear people chanting. At these, we can't even call them pri- protests. I, I call them riots because they've all involved fireworks. They've all involved sort of some sort of violent aggression. When you look at pro-Israel rallies and protests, you just see people hugging and crying when they sing. Singing concerts. Singing concerts, trying to boost morale and to support each other. That's what I've been seeing on our end. Because on the other end, I, I'm not seeing, I'm not seeing context making any sense there. Yeah. And, and if we want to talk about context, we could talk about the things that they've been chanting, right? So we'll start with the famous one, right? Because this is one that's gotten all the traction in the world. You've heard it. I've heard it. We've all heard it. From the river to the sea, Palestine will be free, right? Mm-hmm. And, and at this point, I don't have to say it over and over again, but from the river to the sea, the Jordan River to the Mediterranean Sea is the entirety of the land of Israel. So if you're saying the entirety of the land of Israel will no longer be Israel, then you're calling for the destruction of the entire state. It's plain and simple. And if you ask, what, 80% of the people protesting, what does from the river to the sea mean? They can't answer the question. They don't know which river. Yeah, they're missing the context. That's right. They (laughs) are missing a large portion of the context. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. And, um, you know, after that, we've got globalized the Intifada. So Intifada is armed civilian uprising. There's been two Intifadas in Israel. Um, This week is not an Intifada. This is a war. So this is a little bit different. Um, But when you talk about globalizing the Intifada, you're talking about not only killing Jews and Israelis in Israel. You're talking about globalizing it. So let's globalize Jewish massacre, globalized intifada, globalized Jewish massacre. It's it's so simple, right? And and it's crazy that, I don't know if you saw the clip, there was a kid in Canada, no, no older than what, 12, 13 years old, that was chanting, globalize the intifada on a microphone. And everyone else was chanting along with him. 
as a Jew in the world, how am I supposed to walk the streets? Like when people say Jews overreact, we've had this conversation. <laughs> yes, Jews, we love to overreact. We overreact all the time. Why? Because we're trauma. All of us are trauma. If you're from Europe, uh, you know, unfortunately, your family might have gone through the Holocaust. If you're from Eastern Europe, you would have gone through the pogroms. If you're like me and you came from the Middle East, you went through a whole bunch of kinds of discrimination, ethnic cleansing. You went through periods where you weren't allowed to leave. You weren't given citizenship. You weren't given passports to periods where your family was thrown out. And this is the Jewish history. And that's why we overreact, right? Jews have anxiety. That's how we are. But right now, when 13-year-olds in Canada are chanting to globalize the intifada, I wouldn't call what's happening right now an overreaction. Because you have to ask, what does it mean to you to globalize the intifada? Right? And not knowing is not an excuse. No. Because you don't know what you're saying is not an excuse. Because you are still promoting and excusing violence. Mm -hmm. When we see people chanting things like globalize the intifada from the river to the sea— it's an uptake in anti-Semitism. Mm -hmm. It's an uptake in anti-Semitic attacks. Jews die Jews when die. you do that. Every single time. And nobody else gets freedom because of it. It does not help anybody, which is ridiculous. Yeah. And, and I mean, a, another chant that I've been seeing is people screaming, by all means necessary, by right. all means necessary. And the only thing that that makes me think, if, if you're saying you're freeing Palestine by all means necessary, including the murder of Jews, that's because Hamas is... A, okay with all or nothing, right? When when they chant, we don't want no two states, we want all of it, right? That's another chant that they love. Israel's been proposing two-state solutions since the dawn of time, right? right. From, from 47 with the UN partition plan, the original partition plan was a two-state solution onwards. It's just been Israel offering two-state solutions in Gaza. We disengaged in 2005 to give a test run to that two-state solution, saying we can live side by side. When they say we don't want no two states, we want all of it by all any means necessary right. right so if hamas is okay with an all or nothing because that's what they're pushing for right we want all or nothing and israel is still doing the bare minimum of defending themselves you have to take a step back you know i talked to some friends that are in the idf and i talked to one of them and he called me in tears and he said we're showing so much restraint i'm so sad and i'm angry and i know people everyone in israel is if not directly connected, one step removed from someone who is either currently hostage or who was massacred. And the Israeli soldiers are sitting there frustrated saying, we care more about protecting civilian life than avenging our own friends and family. And they're showing so much restraint, yet the world is still picturing them as these bloodthirsty people who are out to, to destroy. And, and I saw a tweet by Hillel Noor that said, if Israel didn't care about civilian casualties, the war would have ended on October 8th. Yeah. And that's something that's lost on everyone. And that's why I'm very proud in this moment to support Israel and to be Jewish, because I know that we haven't lost our humanity. And I know that to us, civilian life is precious. And I can't say that for the other side at all. Those are the Jewish values. Those are the Jewish values. A, a world is a universe or a person is a universe. Mm -hmm. And when they die, that universe is gone. And I think Jews really put that on everybody. Whether you're Jewish or not, your life is a universe and it is sacred as such. Um, okay. Uh, why don't we talk a little bit about some of reactions we've been getting on social media? Um, you've been a little bit more active than I have. Oh, yes. What's been happening? I have been active. I've been <laughs> so active on social media, guys. I'm exhausted and I hate it there. It's a horrible place. I hate but it there. 
<laughs> I hate it there. I hate it there. I never want to go back. No, but um, social media has obviously been been terrible and that I've been getting a lot of horrible messages. It's also been great and that I've been getting my messages spread. Um, I've been getting a lot of support from, of course, the Jewish and non-Jewish communities. Um, you know, really great responses. But I, I want to talk specifically about some great DMs that I've gotten. Um, and, and I'm not talking about just a few. I've been getting a lot of support from people in India who are, are sending me messages or sending me videos, sending me pictures saying, we stand with you. We are with you in this. But even more importantly, I've been getting messages from Muslims in Iraq, in Pakistan, and in Saudi Arabia. Um, and I want to focus on, on Iraq specifically. Um, one of my followers from Iraq reached out to me and he said, I am Muslim from Iraq and my government has been hijacked by extremists and my people have been struggling, struggling to live free. And I am with you in your fight against extremism. Same thing with my followers from Iran. I have a lot of followers from Iran and every single one of them that's messaged me has said, we stand with you wholeheartedly because this is not a fight about Israel, Palestine. That's not what it's about. It's a fight against extremism. And I want to keep pointing that out. This isn't about Israel against the Palestinians. It has never been. This is about Hamas, a terrorist group that has hijacked their own people, that has used their people as human shields and continues to use them as human shields in order to wage war, an all or nothing war where they are completely fine with their own people dying. And, um, you know, when I look at these messages from, from Iraq, from Pakistan, from Iran, from Muslims, it really, it's, it's exactly what we were talking about before. This isn't about Israel. It's about good and evil. It's about the value of life and the value of freedom. And, and Gazans know this too, because mm -hmm. how many times have we seen videos of Gazans trying mm -hmm. to tell the world that we are being held hostage, that Gazans are being held hostage by Hamas. Mm -hmm. Hamas leadership is worth three, four, five billion dollars each, mm -hmm. while Gazans suffer in poverty and yeah. suffer without basic infrastructure and suffer without a basic governing body. Um, Hamas <laughs> is not, are, are not freedom fighters. They are not, they do not want freedom for anybody but themselves. Yeah. Um, and that's that's really great to hear that in the noise of the negativity and in the noise of the brutality that's happening on social media right now, you've been getting some of those hopeful messages. Um, I want to talk a little bit about some takeaways from the past couple of weeks and, and couple, I guess, month and a half now. Mm -hmm. um, one thing that stood out to me, and I'm wondering, I'm curious what you think, Adela, is um, one, one, one truth that I try to live with, or, or I guess one... Uh, virtue that I tried to live with is I'm always open to being wrong. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I have strong convictions. I often have strong convictions and opinions, but 1% of me, no matter how sure I am of anything, I leave, I leave a little bit open to thinking I'm open to being proven wrong. I am happy to be wrong. Um, not a lot of that happening on the internet right now. I think people have strong convictions without a lot of knowledge and that's okay. We don't all have to be Middle East experts. Most of us shouldn't be Middle East experts because it's depressing. Mm -hmm. um, but I have not been seeing anybody who's just a little open to being wrong about anything. Um, and when you have the social media infrastructure that we do have right now, where you're getting a million pieces of information all at once, sometimes often contradicting, um, the first thing you see is what you go with because that's the easiest thing. And, you know, you have chores to do that day and you have work and it's just easy to repost the free, free Palestine or from the river to the sea. Um, then actually know what you're talking about. Um, have there any, what do you, first, what do you think about that? And two, 
tell me a little bit about some takeaways from the last couple of weeks. Yeah, 100%. I mean, first off, when when it comes to being wrong, we're seeing this on every single side. There's been times that like I'll post something and someone will DM me. I, again, I try to do my independent fact checking before I even post. Right. But if I post something and I get even one DM saying, hey, you should double check this, I archive the post immediately. And I until I can get positive verification, I will not unarchive at all. And I'll take it down from everything else. So the perfect example is when a hospital was bombed in Gaza, every single headline of every single major news source talked about Israeli bombs in a hospital. They all say Israel, Israel just bombed a hospital. Israel just bombed a hospital. And immediately after, uh, the Gazan health ministry said that 500 were dead. And then... Within the same day, but a couple of hours later, we got confirmation, overwhelming confirmation of the exact opposite, right? That it was a failed Palestinian Islamic Jihad missile that misfired and hit the hospital, number one. Number two, it didn't hit the hospital. It actually hit the parking lot. And there were no more than maybe maximum at the highest estimate I've seen after we've done all the fact checking, maximum 50 casualties. Um, they said the number look li likely looks more like 17. Um and then they did the aerial drone footage and the hospital's not destroyed at all, right? So it's, it's one of those things that um, watching the way that the media itself is not fact-checking has been very concerning. Because why, why am I an Instagrammer trying to fact-check things when people who are supposed to be journalists with integrity refuse to? And it's because we all have confirmation bias. And I think that right now, it doesn't matter what side you're on, you should try to fight your confirmation bias. And that's why I'm going to keep going back to this. If, if you are supporting Israel, don't lose the humanity of people in Gaza. Because again, if, if we lose the humanity, if we lose our own humanity, then we're no better than their side. We shouldn't be saying by any means necessary because that's one of their lines, not ours. Um, and again, I'm very proud that it's not one of ours. And my, my biggest message, my biggest takeaway from the last month and a half um, it's a little bit more insular and inward looking, which is to the students on campus. Um, you know, for a little bit of context, we love that word. Um, I sued NYU in 2019 for anti-Semitism under Title VI of the Civil Rights Act. And this is after months and months and months and months of increased anti-Semitic attacks to the point where my professors told me to stop coming to class. I was being boycotted by my classmates. I had to take my final exams in a separate room. I had to leave student government because of bullying. I didn't want to exist on campus anymore as a Jew. And after an Israeli flag was burned and a Jewish girl was assaulted and battered, and this was celebrated by the school by awarding the group that did it, I decided to file the case and it was one of the hardest decisions of my life. And right now, students on campus, I've been talking to a lot of you on Instagram, been getting a lot of your DMs, your emails, and I'm so proud of you, of the way that you've been standing up. And I know how hard this is because, again, I was in your position and you're seeing what I was seeing, but on steroids. And I know it's easy to feel alone right now. But the most important thing you can remember is that standing up is your Jewish duty. Because when you decide, when you let other people decide where a Jew can and cannot feel comfortable as a Jew, that's when you're letting anti-Semitism win. So if you're a Jewish person, continue to stand strong. And if you're an ally, you don't know how much it means to us because there's only 16 million Jews in the world and every single one of your voices is so important in this moment. Yours included. Um, okay, I think we got to everything we wanted to get to. I think we did. Our notes were here, we were here, um, tears were here. Mm -hmm. um, thank you for joining us. I guess we'll see you next time. We'll see you next time. Hopefully we won't need to because we've come together this time in tragedy. Hopefully next episode we're, we're talking about some wonderful things that have come out of this. So. Amen to that. Amen to that. Thanks for joining Americanish.